There's a book that we've referenced on the podcast in the past a couple of times. It's called The Alter Ego Effect, and its author is Todd Herman. And the big idea from the book is that you can adopt a different identity to help you show up in new ways in the various roles of your life. Kind of like Clark Kent and Superman. Superman can't just be a normal person, so he puts on a suit and glasses and he pretends to be a reporter in order to show up in an important way in his life. Today's guest for the Copywriter Club podcast is Anna Rosa Parker. She's adopted an alter ego that she describes as a Viking in heels, and it helps her to accomplish big things in her business. And actually, it's not fair to say that she's adopted that alter ego because like Clark Kent, Superman is the real person and Anna is the real Viking showing up as a brand strategist most days in her business. So we'll hear more about that in a minute. But first, let me introduce my guest commenter for today, Justin Blackman. Justin, welcome. Man, it is fun to be here. This is, uh, I always love talking with you guys. Yeah. And so for anybody who hasn't heard you, which if you've listened to the podcast, I don't know, more than a handful of times, they've probably heard you mentioned or be a guest. Justin's a copywriter, brand voice expert. He's been on the uh, guest on the podcast twice before episode 59, where he talked about his 100 headline project, the thing that kind of put him on the map and episode 216, when he came back and shared his approach to brand voice. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't have these episodes in front of me, Justin, you've come back and like been like you've asked Kira and I questions on one or two episodes. I feel like <laughs> I maybe did. it's like your fifth time here. <laughs> I think it's the I think this is the fourth actually. Okay, yeah. Fourth time, yeah, fourth appearance. So all of those episodes are worth a listen when you finish this interview. Uh, Justin's also spoken at our event, the Copywriter Club in Real Life. And I should just mention really quickly, there are still a handful of tickets left to next year's event, March 20, the end of March 2022 uh, in Nashville. If you're interested in those, there will be a link in the show notes. And finally, you can find Justin and his brand voice programs at Pretty Fly Copywriting. So again, Justin, happy to have you here. I am so excited for TCC IRL. I cannot wait to get down to Nashville. Yeah. And actually being together in person after two years, hanging out with friends. I, we, we actually just had a meeting this morning, you know, talking about what's going on and some of the speakers and what we're putting together for swag and walked through the hotel and all the food options. And uh, I'm, I'm like really, really stoked. I, I can't wait to make this thing happen. So uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to hang out together again. This will be fun. Yeah. Pick up right where we left off. Exactly. So also before we get to the interview, let me briefly mention that this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator. If you're listening to this episode on the day that it comes out, the Accelerator closes to, to new members tonight. The Accelerator is our 16-week program that helps you make the switch from struggling freelancer to booked out business owner. That's kind of a catchy way to say we help you set up your business so that you can succeed. We focus on things like nailing your X factor, creating processes and boundaries so that you can serve your clients better. Um, you also learn how to create service packages that clients want to buy and price them so that you're paid a fair value for the, the value that you create. And we show you lots of ways to attract those clients to your business. We've actually revamped all of the content and it's brand new this year. It's the perfect program if you want to make your 2022 more successful than 2021 was. And Justin, you actually went through that program. Did. I was in the beta round. Yeah, the very first, uh, very first time, and uh, it's changed a lot since then. But uh, you're uh, you're one of the success stories. 
Yeah, man. And I still use the templates that I got in that original program. That's where I got my contracts. That's where I got all my official programming and set up my business before I even really thought that I needed one or that I'd have one. Uh, I was so happy that I did that and everything was in place for when I finally made the jump to full-time freelance. Yeah, it's it's been helpful to a lot of people. Uh, we shared a bunch of success stories last week on the podcast, so be sure to check that out. And now let's just get into the interview with our Viking, Anna Rosa Parker, and we'll be back in about 20, 25 minutes to chat about some of the stuff that stands out to us. So uh, here's our interview with Anna. I started freelancing in New York for advertising agencies and, and some fashion in-house as a, a freelance copywriter. But it didn't start there. Um, I started writing, just writing in general. I started writing plays um, early after I graduated from University of Washington with a BA in drama. I was an actor by trade and became a playwright by default <laughs> from not liking or connecting the work that I was being offered and not getting the work I wanted kind of a thing. So I started to write my own material. Yeah, that, I did that for a while. And then, you know, I I, uh, I came to that place where you like wonder what you're doing if that is what you should be doing, you know, that ongoing struggle, like should I stay in the theater or not? And so I eventually left and I got my first marketing job at Nordstrom in 2007. And I did that for three years. And that was in, I started just in the store, you know, <laughs> Um, selling couture, and I, I, I knocked. They had a, Nordstrom had an open door policy, and I was in the corporate store, and I knocked on the door of the owner, Blake Nordstrom. He's passed since, and and I said, "Hey, I love your company. I can't be on the floor selling <laughs> selling those dresses." Um, and he introduced me to the like the uh, PR director of Nordstrom, and and they were just all such lovely people. And I was knocking on a few doors, and one sent me to the next, and all of a sudden there was this job that was kind of created as I was knocking on doors, and there was a, a marketing coordinator. And so that was kind of my, I did that for three years. That was my like a marketing, probably like my marketing school because I came from the arts. I mean, I went to university, but uh, I have a BA in drama, and I, you know, uh, so that was my marketing, you know, I learned a lot there. There were, there were cool people, you know, a lot of women. And then eventually, you know, I I just couldn't, I wasn't ready for it. I, I left and went back to the theater. And eventually my husband and we, we my husband and my daughter, we moved to New York in 2011. And um, it took me a minute, but then I was hustling, just working in advertising agencies and um, in-house. And I never, I never took like a full-time, I never signed a full-time contract. So, but some of these uh, freelance gigs were like up to a year, you know, nine months. But I did this for a while, and and for some reason, I think because of the Nordstrom background, that's why I wanted to tell you that 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 the luxury background that just took me straight into luxury hospitality. So I worked with uh, a lot on a lot of different accounts, you know, some very exciting hotels, one hotels and baccarat, and you know, some pretty high end stuff, and and I worked with some cool clients, you know, athletes, Venus Williams, and and some some really cool people. And cut to 2020 when uh, the pandemic hit and, and my business was like evaporated. And, 
and that year um, was 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 crazy. But I found you guys in in December 2020, and and that everything has up leveled since then. That's all she wrote. It, you you have like <laughs> this very glamorous background, uh, you know, as an actress, <laughs> and then working with all these famous people and with these amazing brands. I, I like it all. But I want to go all the way back to when you were trying to make that decision of leaving acting. Will you just kind of walk us through that decision process? What was not working and what were you considering? Like, what was your mindset at that time and that struggle that then led you into marketing? Yeah, sure. I, I think it's really the game of it, the game of, of being an actor. I didn't like that. I didn't, I don't like small talk. I don't like to show up to functions to quote unquote network. And doing that as an actor was was really hard for me. It's almost like, you know, I felt more like I was selling my soul. Uh, very different from, you know, writing. You know, if they don't want it, they don't want it. I don't care. But, you know, as an actor, it was very, it was kind of personal. And, um, and then it was also, you know, I'm a mom and my daughter is at an age where I don't want to leave her. And, and, and doing theater in the States, you, you have to leave. It doesn't, even if you live in New York City. There's always, you know, there's so much, you know, regional theater, there are tours, there are all these things that it's just not a family friendly job. And I I just, I got tired of the financial struggle of it too. You know, you got some nicer paychecks and then some just like, you know, wow, you know, I might be able to take the bus home with that, with that cash. Um, (laughs) It was just all of it. And I also realized later it's like I don't like waiting I like to to move and 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 move forward and um I don't I I didn't like I also realized I didn't like the you have no control you have no power you have you you know the producers and the directors they're they run the show and so I think all that together just uh, it wasn't for me at the end I want to hear more about your marketing role at Nordstrom and how you transitioned from the retail side to moving into the marketing role. You mentioned the open door policy and that you were just knocking on doors and talking to the executives. Like it's no big deal, but it, to me, it's a big deal that you just went up to them and you're like, Hey, I'd like to do something different. Can you just talk more about, uh, how you approach that? Did that just come naturally to you to just knock on these executive doors and ask for what you want? Or did you kind of have to like, psych yourself up before doing that? How did you do that so elegantly so that you got what you wanted in the end uh, position? Sure. I think what I do have and and came into this world with was some kind of a fearlessness in that way. If I have to ask for something, I I will do it. And if, if, if it's a job, you know, I can, I can knock on door. Um, And also I think I was raised with that you know, that everybody's sort of equal. I don't, people don't intimidate me because they're more famous or, or they're a CEO. I like to treat the, the janitor the same way as the CEO. So that wasn't something I was scared of. But once I, I, I learned that there was an open door policy, I got excited. I was like, okay, straight to the top. I'm just going to literally, that was the first person I, I got an appointment with was Blake Nordstrom. And it, it's kind of funny in a way because, you know, I'm a, at that time, uh, a shop girl, really, and uh, and I think he really enjoyed it that I, you know, was in his office just 
telling him that I, I, I loved his company, but I was not going to be on the floor anymore. And yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable, uncomfortable. I was, you know, I've, I've always had that kind of a drive, a hustle drive in a way. But of course you, you get nervous too. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, completely immune to that, but it was, it was exciting. And, and it's just that, I guess that's the Icelandic, you know, the Viking in me. Like, I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to, I need to get my result. Yeah. We just have to be Vikings, I think. <laughs> Put on your, your horned hat and you know, grab your sword and do it. Well, that's why I have to, uh, you know, tell people that I'm a Viking in heels, you know, just so they get the picture of that. Exactly. Yeah, so I have cute outfits. Yeah. So Anna, you, you talked about how that role with Nordstrom was your marketing school. Can you give us like two or three of the things that really stand out from that educational experience and, you know, basically the things that you're using today in your business that you learned back then? You know, I think it really kind of polished me in a way, because when I come into that, I'm still an artist. And I learned a lot, just correspondence and how you, you write your emails. And what I came in with was a lot of knowledge. I, I knew a lot about high fashion. I knew you could, you know, Tell me what was, you know, what, what, what is that red dress that Nicole Kidman is wearing on that red carpet? You know, like, oh, with a, a big bow. Oh, that's Balenciaga. You know, I just knew all that. So I came in with that and they enjoyed it, but I did not know how to, to write professional <laughs> emails. And, and also just a, uh, the culture of corporate, you know, that was, you know, my first kind of grown up job, if you will. And... Yeah, so I learned that uh, the, the culture of that, and then also a, a no isn't a no. You know, I had I because sometimes no was really a no. If you're not getting the part as an actor, you're not getting the part. But no isn't a no. So what I ended up doing in that job was kind of what I am doing now. In that sense, I was like, if I wasn't satisfied, if I was, you know, if the job was a little bit too tedious, sometimes I kept finding things that I could do. And I ended up creating an internal blog educational system for the salespeople because I was good at, you know, writing about fashion. And, you know, I was in the room with some, you know, big people there. And I, I wrote fashion, like a video script. And then I was got to be in the editing room. So really just you can do all these different things. And that's what I, uh, we, you know, I do today. And we, a lot of us do today. And then the people in the think tank. And, but I think it was that starting to see like, okay, this is the job, but I want to do something more fun. I want to be more challenged or stimulated. And um, so that was definitely a part of that. And, and then it was like that different way of writing, you know, that marketing kind of writing that I started to, and I, and I read anything and everything that, that came my way at the time. It's a steep learning curve. <laughs> Let's dig into December, 2020 when, you know, your business evaporated. Um, can you just talk through how that happened, what that looked like and how, how you took action, what you did? Before I knocked on your door, it was March 2020, and, and uh, you know, I get email, okay, we have to put everything on hold, we're in crisis, you know, all these emails. Um, I think I just sat and stared at the wall for a couple of months, 
I mean, <laughs> New York was, was brutal, right? Everybody left. And uh, my family and I, we decided to be here. We decided to stay here. Uh, we could have gone to Iceland, but we decided to stay and um, support our city, put our dollar back into the city and, and just be here. And I'm glad we make that decision because I'm proud of that time. And we were here when in the summer of 2020 and, and we were out in the streets marching every day and fighting for justice. Uh, yeah, I'm proud of that time. And also I remember how lost I was. And I think I was lost for a little while and then goes into, you know, some kind of a different growth. It just takes on a d- different level and, and through all the the social justice, um, I just became a, an avid ally and interest changed. And, and all of a sudden luxury hotels were just like stupid necessity. And I was like, how can I go back to work and find something more meaningful? And I'm not saying they're stupid, uh, you know, anything today. It was just like, that's how I felt at the time because it was such a strange time in our lives. And I just eventually was like, okay, I'm going to find all the copywriters because I didn't have any friends who were copywriters. I'd worked at agencies and sure, you know, a couple of people on Instagram or something like that, but I never had a community or was in any kind of a fellowship. So I started just looking at Instagram, looking at copywriters and I was like, oh, they all follow each other or somehow connected. And that led me to you guys. So I started listening to your podcast and one after the other and just eventually knocked on your door and the rest is history. Yeah. We're, we're, we're <laughs> glad that that happened. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you did to salvage your business. You know, when all of these great clients that you have disappear, you know, I know you, you said you sat for, for a couple of months and just kind of, um, you know, had that experience, but you know, as you start to pick yourself up and think about, okay, how do I need to change my business? What did you do? You know, it didn't really happen until I I come back into the think tank. I was so just lost. I mean, I had one tiny uh, retainer that was just like, you know, $700. It was just like a, a one little newsletter or something. So other than that, I I didn't really do anything. I, 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 I just looked away and I, I wrote a documentary script about an Icelandic singer I did different things, you know, I just did everything very different. And I just, I read, I I watched different films and hiked and did different things. And so I didn't do anything until I came into the think tank. And I was like, okay. And people were just like so much further than I was at the time. I mean, I knew I had been, you know, successful before and I could do it again. But at the time, and they were speaking different language in the think tank. There were a lot of SaaS writers there and I didn't even know what that was. And they were all talking about, you know, I work with course creators. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, uh, you know, used to write for an industry that is just doesn't exist anymore, travel and hotels. and. But, you know, it really started when I think with the first retreat that I got so inspired by what was possible and what was going on. And, and there was just so much there. You guys offer a lot of content and and um, mentorship. And, and it was just it just happened naturally in there, in the tank. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, break it down even more. Um, so, what did you do once you joined us in the think tank? Um, what were some action steps that you took that helped you move forward and pivot in your business, move away from travel, and start to rebuild the business? What worked for you during that time? 
Well, first, I mean, I had some, I had a very ambitious project. I wanted to create this app that, you know, you will take with you on your travel and you can kind of count your your footsteps and, and, and the, the, the footprint you leave behind and all that. And eventually gave that up. But I was on, you know, I remember I was on um, Clubhouse for a while, just shopping around with people. Somebody wanted to do this app with me. And then I just, you know, I figured somebody's going to do it. If somebody in Silicon Valley is going to do that thing. And I don't need to focus on that. So what I did is, you know, it's that when you start to really believe in in, in your work again, it, it just sort of happens, right? Um, I just started to be a little bit more accountable with my actions and my thoughts and agencies, some couple of agencies here in New York knocked on my door, somehow found me, uh, worked with them for a little bit and and then decided I was just going to not be with agencies for, you know, and, and wanted to see what would happen if I work with clients like some of my fellow think tankers and, and, you know, it just like there were leads that were being posted in the think tank and I got one of those and that led me to their friends and, and sort of a thing. So I never, I still haven't pitched. <laughs> I haven't pitched anybody um, since I got in there. It just all unfolded and people, you know, it's um, people, they, if they like something, if they like working with you, they're going to send their colleagues and friends to you. And, and that's kind of how that happened. So, and as I listen to you talk about this, it, it sounds like it's just happening but I know because we saw you do this, that there was more to it than that. You, you, you went deep on thinking about your business, your niche, all those kinds of things. Can you talk about your process for figuring out, you know, who you wanted to talk to, who you wanted to work with? You know, I have this thing, um, some people, they don't, they, people that really don't like me, they don't like me because I make everything sound like, oh, I just did it and it just happened, you know. But <laughs> yeah, I do work really hard. I do want to say that. Uh, I work, you know, I, I, I had, I still almost have 12 hour days. Um, I'm just putting, you know, implementing everything I've learned and with the niche. Yeah. So I went through the whole thing, you know, I wasn't ready to niche, but, um, it was encouraged and, and I was like, okay. And, you know, I worked with you guys trying to figure it out and, and I was like, okay, what I could do is work with people at least, you know, sustainable businesses. Um, I saw that. That was interesting to me. And then I started to be interested in creative. So the people that I have worked with now are creatives or, you know, there are some, a couple of course creators, but mainly they're creatives. They're designers and photographers and writers. So with the niche, I kind of ended up not niching. I really tried everything and, and stuff that I you know, I said yes to everything. And then I worked with a person that, or, you know, I, I, um, somebody approached me from Holland who was, uh, had a, a, some kind of a marketing school, like a project management school. And they wanted to work with me and I put together this big proposal and like a 14,000, I think dollar, um, project. And they didn't have the budget for it, but they came back. I think it was a proposal, um, with my Viking narrative, <laughs> they came back and said, you know, we really want to work with you. Can you work with, you know, can you work somehow work with us on a lesser budget or can you consult us or something? I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll, I'll try that. And through that, I was like, okay, I'm going to change my, what I do as a copywriter. I'm going to say, you know, call it, I do it with you or for you. That was one kind of a, 
unexpected turn that I really enjoyed to really work with people. And it's more collaborative and, you know, we're so alone sometimes when we're writing. Um, so I really started to enjoy that. And then, then branding, I mean, I had always been in those rooms where we were rebranding a hotel or, you know, I've, I've seen some high end creams and, and, and products that I was writing the brand story, you know, years ago. Um, so it's like, you know, I really do have that. Um, that's just, a uh, an emotional intelligence that, you know, it's my EQ that I, I, I really want to bring out and, and, and lead with that really, because I feel like I, you know, can build my own framework and, and just start to build something that can change people's lives. So I started to focus on branding more. So that was the, the other part. And then one of those times I'm meeting with you guys and you're saying like, you know, what about the arts and the theater? It's like, no, 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 that's, that's this part of the past. And well, lo and behold, I bring that back in and, you know, I meet my uh, creative partner in the think tank, Daniel Lamb, and we create our artist community where we are, you know, working with artists or supporting them. And we offer accountability and, you know, helping them to find clarity and uh, creative success. And, and I started to work on personal branding with some of these artists. And so that, you know, these are kind of three different parts, how I, so I do it with you or for you. Uh, it's kind of the model. And then, you know, I'm working on a, a personal branding with artists, writers, and creatives and helping them create their, you know, artist identity or, you know, if they want to call it a personal brand. And then there's the community that I have now and that, and there's a podcast, uh, artist inclusive podcast. So these are the, the these kind of this is the landscape that is in front of me right now. And it all came just, I just tried everything. I really tried everything. I tried out all kinds of different things. And I I just know that I fall asleep over, you know, some long ass sales copy. I can't do it. Not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, it's always going to be uh, somehow working with people. And I, just feel very blessed that I was able to find creatives and small business owners and, um, you know, people alike that um, they're not, they don't have to answer to somebody. They can work with me on creating their brand, you know, and messaging. All right, Justin. So let's jump in here and talk about some of the stuff that stood out to you or to me in this first half of the interview. What do you think is worth mentioning and talking about? Well, I think it's super important to point out that she had her BA in drama and that she comes from an acting background. Um, there are so many great writers that I know that can, ca can capture empathy and emotion stronger because they come from that world. And I think it's because writing plays and reading plays and, and, and scripts, there's different direction. And there's a different way of storytelling where they're using fewer words and there's more visual clues. So the words that they use are more like dialogue driven and, uh, and they move the scenes in different ways. And I'm just constantly amazed at the way that those skills transfer over to copywriting. Yeah, it's interesting. As I was listening back through the interview, it struck me that we've talked to a bunch of actors on the podcast. Uh, you know, Jen Walker is one. 
um, you know, we've, in fact, not only have we talked to actors, but we've talked to, you know, people who've done stage management, have written drama, and it seems like there is definitely a shared skill set here in assuming somebody else's personality or figuring out how to be someone else and stepping into the shoes of our clients and writing, communicating, selling as them. So it's definitely a thread that we see through a lot of copywriters and even even many who didn't necessarily think of themselves as actors, but they participate in community theater. Uh, they do things like stand up comedy. You know, they're they're basically stepping into a role and something, you know, that I'm sure we'll talk about more the, the Viking role that Anna talks about. But uh, it's certainly a theme with a lot of copywriters. Yeah, empathy is definitely big in that world. And I think that it, it plays dividends over here. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that really stood out to me, Justin, was the idea um, of just reaching out and and knowing what you want and going out and getting it. So Anna Rosa Parker mentioned that she knew that she didn't want to be on the floor at Nordstrom. So she went right to the head of Nordstrom and knocks on the door is like, hey, I, you know, this is what I want. And that results in a new role. And again, as I was thinking through this, a lot of the successful copywriters that we have interviewed on the podcast that we've seen go through our programs that have been in the think tank, those kinds of things, they know what they want and they somehow they summon the guts to go out and do it, to ask for the thing, whether it's ask for the project, ask to work with a particular client, ask for the money. There's a skill set there that the most successful copywriters have developed and start to lean on in order to succeed. Yeah, it's true. It's uh, there's that old saying: "Those who do not ask do not get." Uh, it's something I'm trying really hard to get into into my kids, um, whether they're just like asking for French fries at a restaurant or or something else. But there's that that lack of fear uh, that you you want to get something, but so many of us just feel like there's people in an ivory tower that are not accessible. But that's not always true. I mean, you saw Anna really just went and knocked on a door and or that door was open. Um, she just went in. So many of us don't really take advantage of the opportunities that are right there in front of us because we feel like we're overstepping this imaginary boundary. But the fact is that boundary doesn't really exist. For sure. Yeah, this is where that alter ego idea starts to come in really strongly. It's like, okay, uh, you know, I see my kids hesitate to, you know, say things about things they don't like at work. And, you know, I've had discussions with my daughter. I'm like, look, if this is bothering you, why don't you talk to the person who can fix it? Oh, you know, it's not my role or whatever. And the fact of the matter is, uh, it is our role. You know, when we see things that could be better, when we see opportunities, it's 100% our, our role to go after them. And so putting on maybe a, a new identity that allows us to show up stronger allows us to ask for things that we might not otherwise do or that we might be embarrassed doing as ourselves. Uh, I, th I think there's just a ton of power in that. And I really admire Anna for the way that she goes after what she wants. She, she really is fearless, like you were saying. Yeah, I wish I had that skill. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. What else uh, stood out to you? Um, her line about the Vikings, the, the Vikings in heels. Uh, that is, that's just a truly unforgettable line. It's, it's stunning. It's visual. You can picture it. I, I mean, I don't think I'll ever be able to hear her name without thinking of a Viking in heels. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a cool catchphrase. Obviously the fact that 
Annas from Iceland does not hurt with, you know, that framing of who she feels like she is. Uh, and I, I just, again, love how it encapsulates what we were just talking about, that fearlessness, that ability to go and get what she wants, the, uh, you know, the desire to stand up for herself. Uh, I think a lot of us, you know, maybe we're not from Iceland or maybe we don't necessarily see ourselves as Vikings, but like, I think it was Kira who said, uh, as we were recording, maybe we should all be Vikings. We should all see ourselves. <laughs> but I mean, as, as great as that is, like you pointed out that she's from Iceland. I bet at some point she probably saw that as a detriment, like something that like, oh, there's nothing special about me. I'm not even from here. But she flipped it to a positive and she took something that's unique to her background. And we all have something that's unique to our background. And she just put her stamp on it. And that little twist in heels, uh, I mean, that's what truly makes it. She just sort of took two uh, disconnected elements and, and found a way to put it together to create something new. And man, I'm never going to forget that line. Yeah, for sure. I also really was struck by the idea that Anna expressed, you know, when she was talking about how she was getting noticed and she said something along the lines of, uh, you just need to keep finding things that you can do. And, you know, again, really stood out to me. She was not waiting to be found. She was not waiting to be validated or to have somebody tell her, oh, I approve of you doing this now. She just went out and did it and literally created opportunities for herself. And an, another huge superpower for those of us that want to run our own businesses, that you know want to work with uh, the clients that you know really stand out in our niches, in our industries, you have to create the opportunities and can't wait for somebody to give you permission. Right. And what she did is that she was doing these smaller projects. And she said at one point that the agencies just found her and she didn't even know how. That's because she created her own luck. It's because she was putting stuff out there. And I mean, I remember when I did the headline project with you guys as part of the, the accelerator. Um, I didn't really know why I was doing that at the time. I wasn't getting paid for it. I was just putting stuff out. And then Oh, sure enough, same way. An agency just found me. They didn't even know how they found me, but it was because of, of the work that I was doing. I was putting it out. And sometimes when you can create blogs or you can create something, you never really know what's going to happen to it down the line. It's it, the, the successes that she found were, they weren't accidental. That was a, a result of something that she did, even if she didn't know why she was doing it at the time. Yeah, and we don't necessarily need to uh, rehash your entire story because we've talked about it on the podcast on those episodes we mentioned before. But when that agency found you, that created the opportunity for you to leave your full-time job and and literally launch your freelance career and all of the things that you've done since, right? Yeah, everything I've done goes back to that. And again, I was not getting paid to do the headlines. It just it was something you guys encouraged me to do, and I just sort of trusted the process. So I think a lot of people may be listening and thinking, okay, you know, the new year, I, I want to do something unique. Uh, it doesn't even need to be paid. It doesn't need to be something for a client, uh, but just doing creative work and putting yourself out into the world can have some really big results. Yeah. You never know who's going to see it. That's kind of the beauty of the internet. Exactly. Then Anna talked a little bit about what happened to her business when COVID hit. She, you know, she was working with luxury brands uh, in the hospitality sector and literally everything shut down. She lost all of her clients. Uh, and obviously COVID had that impact on a lot of freelancers and particularly uh, some niches were hit 
harder than others. It created opportunities for other people. But, uh, you know, I think maybe we should just talk about what would you and I do, you know, if our markets completely collapse, you know, when you're totally lost, when everything disappears, what would you do to start over? And it's so easy to do what she even said that she did, where she wanted, she kind of sat and did nothing for a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I did the same thing. I think we all did at some point over the last couple of years. Um, but I think really what, what helped me was sort of surrounding myself with people who weren't struggling and weren't throwing a pity party and just sort of surrounding myself with people that were continuing to move on and building their business. And um, I sort of, when that happened with me, by changing my scenery, by changing the people that I was around, um, I didn't feel like I needed to struggle anymore. I started doing what they were doing. I started reaching out, getting some uh, little extra work here and there. And um, I sort of was able to ride their coattails until I could pick myself up and dust myself off and and get going again. And I think it, it all just had to do with um, changing my scenery. Yeah. For us, for what Kara and I were doing, I mean, you'll remember because you were there, we had the last TCC IRL and literally the day we finished was the day that uh, the country shut down, like everything shut down. The you know flights stopped going out and uh, that last IRL was where we were talking a lot about the think tank and, you know, had hoped to be able to uh, bring a, a lot more people in and, and that uncertainty in so many people, so many copywriters um, really um, slowed down that launch. Didn't completely uh, end it. We still ended up with a ton of really good people in it, but not what we had hoped to do. And had it basically forced us to rethink our business as well and to think about the model that we were using, how we were attracting people into this awesome experience. The irony, of course, is that uh, if, if you're going through something like that, where you're struggling to find clients, you're struggling to figure out what's next, having a smart group of people around you and mentors to help you is exactly what you want. But without the money coming in the door, it's really hard to make that commitment, right? So uh, we also had to do some real serious rethinking and figuring out, you know, what is ahead and taking, taking those leaps into the future. Like what Anna talked about doing in her business, she completely changed everything. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in the second half of this interview, you know, some of the things that she did, but rethought her entire business as she, you know, went through the think tank with us. Yeah. Uh, some of the best ways to, su to succeed is just to surround yourself with action takers and doers and follow their lead. And then finally, Justin, one other thing that uh, Anna was talking about is just kind of how she went back into her past to find that new group of people that she could help. You know, she went back to being an actor after so many years in marketing and uh, has really started to build her career moving forward with that group of people, whether it's, you know, branding or some of the other programs that she started to create. Uh, she, she found that path, not by stepping into the unknown, but stepping back to what she knew. Yeah. Career paths are weird and twisty and windy. And, uh, it's sometimes we think like if we niche down, then we can never do anything else, but it's so interesting how many times things from our past come back and create this new connection and open up this opportunity that we never even knew could, could be there or that existed. Uh, you know, I've definitely wound up circling back to, to things in my past that I never would have expected to, uh, to be relevant today, but it's just sort of the way that life works. 
Yeah. And a really good reason not to feel like anything that we've done in the past was a waste of time. Uh, you never know how it's going to resurface and help us as we move forward. It makes for a good story. For sure. Let's go back to our interview and listen to how Anna has recently shifted some of her work to focus on artists. So Anna, you mentioned that you've tried a little bit of everything. And again, we, we've seen you do that firsthand um, over the past year and you figured out what works best for you. What else didn't work for you while you were building your business and testing? You mentioned niching didn't work well for you initially. Um, so you almost you know, stepped back and went broader and that started to work. Um, but what else during this time didn't work for your business? What didn't work? Yeah, there was something about I did not want to work with advertising agencies again because I didn't want to work with account managers. You know, there's just something that happens that um, there's a different control and vision that comes in when the account manager is sometimes, I don't know, there are just too many cooks in the kitchen. I was like, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm done with that. Unless there's something, you know, that is really up my alley and, and, and something exciting, but overall not work with agencies and, and straight kind of uh, straight up sales copy. You know, I think, okay, let me say this. There's certain copy, you know, conversion, copywriting and, and, and certain uh, hacks or, you know, that if they play on someone's emotions for the uh, sake of selling, you know, a product, um, versus working with someone, someone's true self and branding from there. That's kind of where I draw the line, I think, you know. So that's what works. And that's, and, and what doesn't is selling something, you know, writing copy or branding something that isn't, if I don't believe in it, that's, you know, if you're playing on someone's emotions like that, that's that's not for me. But if we can go um, and take a different approach to it and understand, like truly understanding the the emotional response that that person or that business is drawing in and is drawn to, um, that kind of authenticity, uh, authenticity, you know, almost like more of a holistic, I guess, approach, that's what works for me. I'd, I'd love to get into some specifics and maybe talk a little bit about the framework that you use as you work with clients. But let's say I'm an artist that's coming to you. Um, I'm a sketch artist, uh, do these beautiful sketches, and I you know, want to be known for this thing. Um, you know, as, as we start to engage and work together, what's the process that you go through to make sure that you're helping me tell the right story about my work? So there are a few pillars, and basically... I will break it down. I mean, I start with the, you know, the who and the what and the how, you know, but really like, who are you? And having people just have a, a full on date with themselves to ask them that questions, you know, who am I? What do I do? How do I do it? You know, what is my signature? Or not even just like, how do I do what I do? And, and why am I doing it? Just starting with that, right? And then going into the next pillar, which is, you know, a method I put together from, you know, not nothing I'm saying right now is something groundbreaking, but but the framework and 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 the and how I work it is, because I'm saying some 
um, deep reflections. But anyway, so yeah, then we find the, the your strength, you know, as a sketch artist, you know, what what is your strength? And you'll show me that. And then we're going to identify your focus. And I, I like to go and, and just focus in on the one thing, like, you know, okay, Rob, he can only, without saying only, sketch cars, right? So then we're just going to take it all the way. And, and that's what you do. You sketch cars. And out of that, we take a certain uh, approach into uh, manifesting your audience and allowing your vision to come to come through. Because I don't want people or myself to be kind of formed or gaslighted into something that we don't want to do or we aren't. So I believe that we can choose our audience from by like some kind of a manifestation. And with that is there's so much freedom. And then you as an artist or as a creative, you can have so much freedom allowing yourself to be fully you and, you know, with your, you know, personal brand signature and all that. But it's all through a connection. It's a feeling, you know, brand is not a logo. It's not a font. It's not colors. It's a feeling. So a personal brand, you create that in with all these steps, you'll end up with um, a, a signature promise and, and you can show up with that. Can you share a couple, maybe just one example of how how you have manifested an audience either for your business or maybe for a client's business, just to give us um, an idea of how to make that happen for our own clients or in our own business? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to that when you decide who you, who you want to um, attract, right? There's just something to that. Um, and always, you know, leading with that, you know, emotional intelligence and not going too uh, analytical is, is a way to do it. But there's something to putting things down, you know, writing, right. Kind of like create your list, right. Who they are. And when you start to show up, um, with all that you are, and we've done all the this, you know, layered, integrated groundwork of of bringing you out there in a way, and and, and allowing you, you allow yourself to show up as is. That's when the manifestation happens. That's when people start to knock on doors, like, "Oh, I saw you did this, and uh, I've been looking for, you know, I've been looking for this, and you've been looking for somebody like you," or or they just people come out of the woodworks knocking on on your door and, and, uh, I wanted to work with you because you're, you're not trying to fit a form. If you are at that place that you know what you are offering because you know who you are and what you are offering, you also know who you want to attract. It's, it's not any different from, you know, if you <laughs> attract, you know, a, a romance, you know, in that way, you will, uh, manifest those people that, just completely fit the frame that you have built out. So I'd like to change our conversation just a little bit and talk about the artist inclusive work that you've done and what you're building with Daniel. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how that idea came about and, um, There are lots of questions here about, you know, working with a partner and that kind of stuff, but I'd really love to just know the genesis of the idea and what you guys are building together. So yeah, we met in the the think tank, as you know, and uh, we, well, he came from music, and and I come from theater, and and we we connected 
through that also, you know, the uh, right brain people, that's the, the, the people that are going to, you know, r- run the world. Um, so we connected with that, that kind of artist mindset. And, um, and I had been thinking about, you know, oh, should I work? I wonder if, you know, other former actors want to become copywriters. I wonder if we can help them and work with them. And, uh, and he had been thinking about something similar and, then we decided to try it out to partner together and, you know, and, and come with, you know, what, what we have different strengths, you know, he is more kind of tacky, you know, um, about, you know, building websites and, you know, he's a very good writer too. And, and, and I come with the, you know, the, the branding strength and, and we decided to, to try this out and, so we just drafted that and, and started to, well, we interviewed some people. We interviewed some people to, you know, possible candidates, you know, you know, asking questions like, would you like something like this? Would you be a part of a community like that? And what do you need? You know, what, what are actors, you know, missing today? And, you know, how is it coming out of the pandemic? And what can we create together? And just all these questions to see where people are. We mainly interviewed actors uh, and some musicians. And then we just started that page on Facebook and that's where it currently is. We have other plans too. People love just, even if there are a lot of people that are not super always communicating, but they love being a part of that community. So with that community, we thought, okay, we can frame that and, 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 and just have this as its own community and what else can we do? And then he had started a podcast and was willing to rebrand his podcast. So we did that and, um, and we just, we've run some free workshops. We're going to do some more. We're doing one this week. And then by the, you know, by in January or so, we're going to start to offer also just like a smaller groups, you know, paid programs, because you know how it is when you pay into a fellowship, you just apply yourself entirely differently than when it's free. Although, you know, free groups are great too, but that's how that came together. And I love the podcast. I love the group. I love being able to work with artists and they, they're the same, a lot of the same thing, you know, they're struggling with the same thing. They, even if they're performance artists, actors, writers, they still struggle with, you know, putting themselves out there. So that's where that, you know, kind of brand identity is so important too. to, so you can own that. So you're willing to show up. You're not, you know, it gives you sort of a confidence and a boost. And um, that's one of the struggles and, and just people are, you know, they're alone after the pandemic, they, you know, uh, and even if their theaters have come back, it's, it's not fully functional yet, but it's nice to be, you know, what it is also that I love about it is connecting all the dots, you know, there's the marketing and there's the, the writing, it's all coming together. So I feel like I feel complete now. <laughs> But it's true. It's really nice to be, to have this community and hang out with these, you know, amazing artists. What has surprised you the most as you've built this community with Daniel? What has surprised me the most? You know, how vulnerable people are, how how open they can be and how they're not, they're willing to really open up and, and, and ask for help. Because I, I never asked for help. I didn't have a community. I felt like I had to build everything myself. 
you know, including a solo show I did off Broadway and things like that. So I think that's really, it's really beautiful to see how open people, transparent they are. And we also live in these times where there are a lot of changes. So there, there are a lot of exciting changes in, you know, in casting that, you know, things have been just busted, you know, you can't cast white casts anymore. These stories have to reflect the people in the community, in the country, you know, uh, equity and inclusion is, is, is a big factor in that. And it's been really beautiful hearing these stories on our podcast with actors that have been pigeonholed before and, and just see how the transformation of, of casting, I mean, it's still not great, but there's definitely a movement in that. And that's been really rewarding to, to see and hear. As you've worked through, you know, setting this up, talk a little bit about the partnership that you have. Uh, we know that it's not all roses, although for us, of course, it has been all roses. <laughs> but you know, working with a partner, obviously, you're has it, yeah, for sure, all roses, bouquets, petals everywhere. <laughs> Clearly, though, you know, you're you're matching two different personalities. Sometimes you have different goals, different aspirations. Um, how have you and Daniel been able to work through some of those things? Yeah, I mean, I th we definitely, thankfully, we bring in different um, strengths and talents. Um, <laughs> the, um, we're also artists uh, at the same time. So we have kind of, there's a certain, we get along really well. And, you know, he's right, he's funny. I, I just, humor is really important to me. But we meet up weekly, right? Create a, a list, we create a goals, we we were going to do, for example, we were going to do a course in October. And I was like, you know what, let's wait because I don't, I'm worried that these artists think we're just here to sell them something. I wasn't ready for it. Right. But we just addressed it all. And I think the partnership it's, it's so far so good, Rob. I mean, we're not dramatic people. We're not, we're not, you know, moody and it's, it's just, it's not difficult yet. I'm knocking on wood here, though. I'm scared now that I said it. <laughs> Jinx it. We want to hear about a big fight. That's what we want to hear about. He's got between the two of you. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, you know, because you're in the the artist space and then you are also in the marketing world. What is the difference between um, building your business as an artist and really building a business? Um, as a marketer, what are some really big differences you've seen as you've been in both spaces? Yeah, in the marketing space, there's definitely more, much more left brain in there in that space, and they tend to see things in fractions, I guess, and pieces, and always building, and it's a, a different pace in a way, where artists are more right brain, and and we tend to see them the image as a whole and it's not, it's not broken. You know, <laughs> I think that is, that that's definitely the difference. Another is artists are just very, you know, overall, they, they don't have the need to uh, always be chiming in or they don't, they don't need to, you know, peak fast. It, it's these things that it's just a little bit more, they're more observant. A lot of, a lot of people, I mean, they're always these, you know, talkative people also, but overall, I feel like they're, 
they're more observant. And then at the, the same time, the, the marketing world, it can be a little fast and people want the results right away. And um, it's more of a kind of, it's a very different, they're both hustle, but they're very different. It's a very different hustle. There are certain elements to the marketing um, world that I, I just don't connect with at all. And that's probably, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the sales funnels and, and all that. And, and that's more of a kind of um, a, a left brain. It's the only way I can divide it by, by splitting the brain in half. Um, <laughs> but overall, and, and that's why the community, we, um, because we can also teach uh, artists about marketing and how to market themselves, how to brand themselves, how to build their own websites, um, how they can add some kind of a signature flair to their brand. That's what we're doing on that side. And then, you know, in, in, in our marketing, or at least in my marketing, then there is a little bit of that, you know, artist flair too. You know, I'm a very visual person. You know, my tagline used to be my, my taste is my talent because I could just build things out of seeing it in my own head. That's, that's, yeah, it's, it's a very left and right brain. And, you know, I'm surprised how many copywriters are, are left brain. It's, it's not it, because a lot of, I thought, oh, there's going to be a lot of uh, copywriters that come from the, the arts or, but, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them come from very different fields and, you know, business fields, law, journalism, which is kind of a mix. You, you get to work, you get to work in a very interesting space with interesting people and, different challenges, which I admire. I, I like that. So what's next for you, Anna? Where does your business evolve from where it is today? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. I love the the personal branding side of my business, and I kind of want to focus on that more than, and I have been actually, I'm adding different uh, workshops that I'm adding. You know, I've, for example, this week I have a an intensive with a couple of designers. So that's, you know, so I have these one day workshops and then I do my work and then I, they end up with some sort of a, a rebrand guide. Um, and then I am looking into building longer workshops. So, so actually coaching and is, is something I didn't expect to come out of this, but that's your guys' fault. You made me do it. <laughs> Um, so that's part of my what is next. Um, then I have this absurd lifestyle where I live in New York City and I also live in Iceland part of the year. And um, I'm going there in mid-December and through January. And during that time, I'll start another podcast in Icelandic with uh, one of my clients who's there. I think with the copywriting, it's going to be, I think that's the only aspect of my business that is not going to be bespoke. Because everything ends up being, you know, very bespoke. I, I am so interested in so many um, projects that come my way, but I've decided to simplify my copywriting business, and um, I can finally put that honey honey book into into work and and just have it have it work. So, and then the branding business is it's more um, bespoke and and different different clients. Yeah, I don't know. What else should I? Is something I'm? Am I missing something? And then the community. We'll see what happens with that. What do you think I should be doing next? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you've got plenty to keep you 
busy over the next few months and year ahead. Um, so I want to know how I can be more of a Viking in my own business. What are some tips? What can I do that would be very um, – <laughs> I can pull in from your experience as a Viking in my own business and life. Yeah. So let's deconstruct me for a second then. The Viking part of me is probably that fearlessness, not afraid of knocking on doors and clients' doors. And, you know, that's that's one one part. And I think the other part is resilient, which you are. You are all these things. You know, I mean, I live in New York City, and I don't know if this is a, a Viking thing, but I'm sometimes, girl, chill. You know, somebody comes close, you know, driving a car or a bike, and I'm just, like, so fast to scream at them and swear at them. And Are you? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I, and I, I surprised myself. I was like, really? What, what, why? That's, that's a lot. Girl, you know, <laughs> take it down a notch. So I don't know if that's a New Yorker in me or a Viking, but I don't think I need that one. You don't want to scare your children. I never, I never did that. Even when I lived in New York City, my my husband did that, but uh, I, I don't know. You become jaded here, you know. So, so there is a lot of like the, you know, I can tell you this. When I moved from Seattle to New York, uh, I become somewhat softer. Because I was in, in Seattle, I was considered intense. And I was like, I don't want to be intense. They think I'm intense. So I'm like, you know, I soften my voice and go a little high pitch and um, just, you know, talk to everybody at the grocery store. And, you know, I can talk to anybody, but, you know, more of a small talk. And, and then I come to New York and I'm like still doing that, talking to the people at the grocery. And, and Oh, they don't do that there. Yeah. No. So it's like, oh, no, I, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I gotta be, you know. Now I'm gonna bring out the, the dramatic Icelander. That's gonna be a good fit, and it is. It's a good fit because Icelanders are, they're kind of, they're they can be a little bit like Russians. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> All right. Well, you're making me miss New York. Um, okay. My last question for you is just if you can go back to December 2020 when your business, your tr- business in the travel space, just evaporated. What advice would you give yourself if you could go back now? What would you say to yourself? You know, I think probably have um, talked to somebody. I, I did try to find a therapist and I didn't find the right person. So I gave up. I think that would have been really good. And and also be ready when you um, take the conversations out of your home and into the public that not everybody's going to like it. And that I mean that, you know, my husband is black. We've always talked about race. When we felt we felt like there was an opening, we could talk to talk about these things with, with people, that was not always the case. So that was, I would have liked to be worn. Like, I would have liked to have some kind of, um, or not, I don't know. It was, um, that was really interesting. So, you know, you're talking, you're asking about some heavy times here and <laughs> you get these kind of answers. But I think therapy is huge. And, and also like, just when we take something outside of the home that it, not everybody's going to be a part of it or want to be a part of it. But um, yeah, and therapy, I mean, I think I heard, I heard somebody say this. Um, if you talk to a therapist, you kind of, you build that license for a voice. So if you are, you know, you have a space where you go and you get to talk, you can take that voice with you out in the world. I thought it was really cool. 
Yeah, that's that's great advice and maybe a good place to end. Anna, if somebody wants to connect with you, find out more about what you're doing, where should they go? Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Anna Rosa Parker, and I'm also Dash of Copy. And if there are some artists that want to join us, uh, Danielle and I, in, in our community, we have a Facebook page, uh, Artist Inclusive. And my websites are Anna Rosa Parker and then Dash of Copy. Awesome. Thanks, Anna, for showing up and telling us more about your business. This is great. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And you like you actually have so much part in all all this, everything that I've done. I I couldn't I could not have imagined that things have turned out this this well and in this way. And uh, um, it's been such a blessing being part of your program. You guys have really um, these retreats and are incredible too. Uh, I hope I, you know, I think I'll always be a part of your group somehow. Well, we're going to force you to be part of our group, so <laughs> sorry. Um, well, you guys. Be, before we officially wrap, do you mind just sharing, because you, you kind of opened the door here, for someone who is thinking about joining the think tank, um, what advice would you give them if they're trying to make the decision? What should they consider and think about before joining the think tank? You know, if if the price tag is intimidating or, or you know, it doesn't seem like you can afford it, just maybe you can have, you know, revisit that. And, and uh, I do have to say that I was in the think tank without pitching. Uh, my return on investment had, I, I think, like five months in, I paid for the year. And that was just through leads and connection and being a part of a community. So that was huge because I was like, oh, I spent that money. I don't know. I'm not working. You know, so that was I would definitely um, look into that, that there's so many people that like want to help you and, and work with you. And and I'm not even, you know, I'm, I'm not even always chatting people up. I can be I tend to be a little quiet in there sometimes. So that is definitely and that. It's like a school. I mean, I feel like I went to grad school. They, there's so much that I've learned. So that is also, yeah. And just meet a bunch of really kind people, some big thinkers. That's the end of our interview with Anna Rosa Parker. Before we wrap up, let's talk about a couple more things, Justin. Uh, you know, I, one of the things that jumped out, you know, she starts talking about her experience of working with agencies. She says uh, there's, you know, she's, she's a little bit negative on that. And I, I just want to touch on this, that working with agencies can be awesome if you understand the system, if you understand, you know, how they work. It is a totally different experience than working with, you know, solopreneurs or businesses on your own because they've got their own processes. They oftentimes have their own payment uh, terms and plans. Uh, the account executive at the agency is the one that's going to be doing most, if not all of the interfacing with the client. So you may not even see a client. The agency actually becomes your client. But if you can get over some of those things, working with an agency can be a great way to build a portfolio, great way to get experience. On the other hand, I, I have to agree with Anna. It's, it's tough. You know, the, those things can be really big hurdles and can end up, you can end up feeling not respected by the client, by the agency. You Sometimes you have an agency rate, which is less than your normal working rate, all of those things. So I, I don't want to disagree with her necessarily, but I will say 
there's there are copywriters who are great for agencies and there are copywriters who maybe shouldn't be working with agencies and should find other clients. For sure. I've, I've worked with a couple and it's been a mixed bag. Uh, some of them have been absolutely great. Some of them have been some of my best and most consistent clients. Uh, but I've also worked with some that I, uh, I would never recommend anybody work with or I would never want to work with again. Um, you just, you don't really know and every experience is going to be different, but don't rule it out because sometimes it's nice having someone that does all the, the client getting work for you. And, uh, you know, I was in the shut up and let me write phase for a long time and agencies were great for that. They just basically handed me an assignment and, and I just knocked it out. And it was a great relationship for a while. Other ones just have not really been very uh, great for my career. Yeah, I've done the same thing. Good agencies are great. Bad agencies are the worst. And uh, I think you just have to experience the two to, to start to be able to tell between them. Um, another thing that Anna mentioned that is, is could be a really interesting topic of discussion, not just between us, but you know, all copywriters. Um, you know, when she mentions uh, writing authentic copy and not playing on the emotions, which is an interesting idea because copy and selling is emotional. And it's I, in some ways, it's impossible to do without being emotional. But clearly, Anna's referring to specific things about taking advantage and playing on a person's emotions when uh, she you know, talked a little bit about that. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think this is something that becomes clearer to you over time. And it usually happens after you've been asked to write something that makes you uncomfortable. And that's when you're like, oh, wait, I have a line and I'm being asked to cross it. I didn't know that this line was here, but now I feel it. And often that line is the difference between persuasion and manipulation. And, you know, some people think persuasion is a dirty word, but it, it's not. Um, it, persuasion is essentially when you're trying to sell somebody something because you think it's good for them. Whereas in manipulation, you're trying to sell someone something because it's good for you. And I think when we cross that line or when we teeter that line, it, uh, it triggers some feelings <laughs> that we don't like, <laughs> that we don't want to feel. Uh, but it's good to have that because that, that sets your moral compass and it lets you know where your boundaries are. Yeah, I, you remind me of a client in my agency days is actually one of the last clients that I had when I worked full time at an agency. And it was one of the things that made me think, hmm, maybe I don't love this part of the job. It was a client who was taking in radioactive waste and burying it in the desert here in Utah, totally legal. But it was just one of those things where I just felt kind of icky, you know, writing PR for them about how wonderful um, this this company was. A needed service. I, I recognize that you, know, you just can't have radioactive waste left at hospitals and you know wherever else it's generated. But at the same time, convincing people that you know it's okay to have this buried you know, close to a town or whatever, it was one of those assignments is like, yeah, this really isn't for me. I need to find something else that uh, helped me move on to the next job that I had and ultimately led to, you know, me building the career that I built. So, um, you know, being comfortable with you with what you write is important, but that doesn't necessarily mean that anything that you write that's emotional is necessarily playing on the person that you're talking to or that you're trying to persuade again, because everything we do as humans is emotional. There's, there's no such thing as anything that's completely rational. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if we didn't, if we weren't able to do this, then you could just use AI to write your copy. Exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get there someday. We'll see. 
anything else stand out to you, Justin, from the second half of the interview? Well, I like the way that she had a, a process with working with artists. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I love copywriting so much is that we blend that art and science is that we put a process behind what a lot of artists do by feel. And uh, we kind of approach things a little bit more methodical. Yeah, I, I agree. Her process, the you know, pillars, purpose, strength, and focus. Anytime that we're able to put names to the things that we do, and I know so much of what we do is similar to each other, but the different ways that we approach it, the words that we use to describe it often become different and it's informative. It just you know helps us rethink our own processes. And like you, I love the combination between the art and the science and the ability to put methodology to something that's kind of esoteric in a lot of ways. Yeah, honestly, I think that's what makes the, the process scalable. It's when you, you approach it deliberately and uh, more methodical, and it's something that can be carried forward uh, to almost guarantee the same type of results, hopefully successful ones, um, for, for each client. Okay, so let's talk about personal branding, uh, the topic that came up. And Anna obviously mentioned, you know, it's not just logos, it's colors, it's the feeling that you're creating, you know, this promise that you make, the, the result being that you start to attract the right audience, you manifest the right audience, uh, the right clients to your business. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of um, back and forth on personal branding. And it's been interesting, you know, as we've been watching over the last, say, five to even 10 years, the online coaching courses space, which obviously we spend a lot of time in and see a lot of clients in that space. And all of that is built around personal branding. So many personal brands end up looking so similar uh, and, and it doesn't actually feel personal. It feels like there's this category. I mean, it, it's really true of any category. I mean, dishwashing liquids all look the same, right? And uh, spaghetti sauces all look the same. Uh, clothing styles all look the same. And even copywriters start looking the same. So this is, is something I know you specialize in with you know, adding personality. How do we make our personal brands not seem the same as everybody else? Uh, it, you know, it kind of goes back to that last question with figuring out where your lines are that you won't cross. Sometimes you can figure out what you won't do or what you do differently from somebody else and build from there. A lot of times it's like we kind of know what, we're stand, what we stand for, but we don't necessarily know how to put that into words. But we know things that we don't like. And sometimes it's actually easier to start with an enemy than figuring out what you're building toward. Yeah, what do you like? Talk a little bit more about that. Like, what do you mean? You know, we're starting out with an enemy uh, when it comes to like a copywriting business. Well, it could be that like there's a brand out there that you just don't like, and uh, whether it's because it's like too vanilla or too plain, or that you just don't like that it starts that everything's starting to sound the same, or uh, it, it could just it could really be anything, or it could even be a market. Uh, a niche that you feel is wrong for a brand. When you see something that you disagree with, you're like, no, here's how I do it differently. And then if you hone into that and be like, wait, how, how did I get to that answer? And keep asking why you got those changes and why, you're, why you want to do what you want to do. Sometimes that's what leads you to that separate path to help you figure out um, what that, that, uh, that true differentiator is. That's where you get your, your unique value prop. 
uh, and you can kind of build on that. And then of course, it, you know, it includes, you know, choosing the niche and uh, the very specific problems that you can solve as a copywriter, all of this stuff, you know, the talent stack that you bring to the table, all of it combines hopefully to create something that's different from everybody else. And maybe we just need to think about our photography a little bit differently. So that we're not all <laughs> showing up in the same colors or, you know, the same kinds of backgrounds. Uh, With the know. really big coffee cups. Yeah, exactly. I, I, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm wondering, okay, so what would be that different? You know, maybe I, maybe I should go out to the landfill and, uh, you know, take a really unpicturesque photo. <laughs> I don't know what it would be. I'm, I'm messing around. With it, yeah. Uh, you should see the outtakes of the photos that I have. There you go. Well, <laughs> we should link to some of those in the show notes. Let's see, one, maybe one or two other uh, things just to touch on really quickly. I was struck by how much in common the struggles of artists match the struggles of copywriters. You know, we're we're vulnerable. We have a really hard time sometimes putting ourselves out there. We don't want to ask for help. I, you know, as Anna was knocking off all these things that artists do. I was like, hey, copywriters do that stuff too. And, uh, you know, maybe we're not all that different from, from actors, uh, you know, theater, theater producers, musicians, uh, the, all of the other people out there doing very creative tasks. I would definitely agree with this. And I think that most people listening to this will. Uh, but I also think that it's important to see the other side of copywriting uh, who focus less, like the direct response marketers who focus more on conversion and the science and the structure behind everything. Those guys don't tend to, uh, guys and girls, and men and women, um, they, tend to, uh, they tend to be in a different camp. And there's not that same sense of struggle. They don't focus on the art. They focus on the process and, and delivering something. So... Um, I think there is a different community. I think there's a little bit of uh, uh, where they're at different ends of the spectrum and uh, we sometimes are at odds with each other. Um, but I think that it's important to note that that not every copywriter does struggle with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's the other side too, uh, where we're also similar, you know, in being uh, supportive and collaborative and helpful and transparent about our businesses. There's a lot of uh, that good that happens in the copywriting community, just like it happens in the artist community that ought to be celebrated and talked about more. Absolutely. I mean, the, the community that we're all in right now, right, that we're here together, um, the way that we support each other and we're there for each other and just help each other build businesses is absolutely phenomenal. So I don't want to downplay that at all. Um, you know, it's, what I, it's what helped build my career. And that's what I love about this community too. Okay, last question. Uh, going back to our intro and some of the things that Anna talked about, how can we be more Viking-esque in our own businesses? Is there something that you want to do in your business, Justin, to be, you know, show up with the horns on your helmet? <laughs> I do have a drinking horn, so I think I'm already there. So I guess I just need the heels. There you go. Yeah, the heels. <laughs> you look good in them. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, as I think about it, um, just... Just, you know, like what Anna was doing, going out after the things that we want, not being too hesitant. Um, you know, obviously, we're not going to trample people along the way like maybe the Viking hordes did. But we are we do need to be aware of the things that we want, that they are out there and that it's OK to go after them. And, you know, whether that requires you know help from mentors or a community of other copywriters to back you up, um, be aware of the goal and let's not be afraid to ask for it. 
Yeah, we can politely pillage and plunder. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. Your feedback and support is appreciated. If you like what you've heard, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with someone you know who will like it. And if you want to listen to an episode or two more with similar themes, check out our interview with Amy Posner, episode 202, or episode 33 with Rice Schwartz, all about taking an uncomfortable action. And don't forget to check out the episodes I mentioned at the top of the show featuring Justin Blackman. Justin, I want to thank you for joining me today to add some comments to this awesome interview. Thanks for being here. And last reminder, today is the last day to join the Copywriter Accelerator. Link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money.